Left a good job in the city. Working on a man every night and day. But I ever saw the goods out of a city. Till I took a ride on the riverboat queen. Good meal, keep on turning. Proud Mary hit down morning. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Rolling, rolling on the river, rolling on the river. Seen a lot of fails in Memphis. Pumped a lot of steam down in New Orleans. But I never saw a good out of a city till I hitched a ride on the river, Bow Queen. Big wheel, keep on turning. Mary, keep on burning. And we're rolling, 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 rolling on the river, rolling on the river. Hey, everybody. So I just got over COVID. I don't know if I ever had it before because I never tested positive for it, but you know, who knows? Uh, but I had a cough like last week, a uh, pretty deep cough, and I took one of those home tests, and it immediately turned bright blue. Like, it wasn't a question. So I'm going to assume that that is correct. And then I took it a few more times over the course of the week, and, uh, you know, it faded away. And yesterday I took it, and uh, and it was gone. So I'm, I'm through the crucible. And I got to say... I understand that log COVID is a thing. There's no question that it is a phenomenon. Who knows exactly what it is? But I think short COVID also has to be a thing because I definitely had that. Uh, I had a cough for like two days. Uh, that was really kind of it in terms of symptoms. A uh, little bit of a stuffy nose. And uh, I'm fine. Like, I feel exactly the same as I did before. Like, I feel fine. Now, my immune system might be trashed by this because it does look like there is some sort of significant uh, immune compromising factor here with this stuff when we're looking at this explosion of um, uh, RSV and and influenza and stuff. And I might very well be just owned. But right now, I feel pretty fortunate. I feel like uh, I kicked the shit out of COVID. But it did make me think. So there's all these people, all these uh, conspiracy theories about where COVID comes from, right? And what's really interesting is that all of them, uh, like, and it, it, it shows the the deficiency in a lot of ways of the conspiratorial mindset. The way that when what you're doing is you are looking for something to make sense of the world in a way that you want it to make sense, and that uh, subconscious yearning is going to shape anything that you encounter. Like, if you want to talk about the idea that that COVID is some sort of manufactured thing. If you want to do a basic Q-bono, the answer is not, oh, uh, the World Economic Forum made COVID so that people would be okay with working from home uh, and you know not owning a house or whatever great reset shit that is happening anyway, <laughs> that we are all assating to already because what is the alternative? We're all going to do this stuff anyway. These forces are way larger than any specific phenomenon, and our ability to resist them is non-existent. 
So why this extra push? What does it do? Oh, it makes money. Oh, I think they're going to make money no matter what. That's the whole deal is that the system exists to make money for these people. The uh, explanation that makes sense, though, is you got guys like Bill Gates who genuinely do talk a lot about how concerned they are about the long-term viability of the planet, specifically because of climate change which they, of course, connect not to the fossil fuel regime as such, which they are enmeshed in and cannot extricate themselves from, but overpopulation. And we know that guys like Bill Gates love going to Africa and giving everybody uh, uh, circumcisions, you know, uh, and also uh, birth control. Uh, a much more plausible, just if you're blue skying it, which we're all doing when we're conspiracizing shit, because looking at fucking YouTube videos and, and connecting... Uh, Things that different uh, rich people have said into a mosaic is not evidence of anything. If you're, but if you're starting from a basic premise, the real meaningful basic premise, the one that like actually would make sense is uh, COVID released as a uh, as a population reducer. You know, not something that is going to kill off a bunch of people very quickly because that would undermine the economic structures that these people depend on, but something that over time will just start churning out, kicking, killing a lot of people earlier than they might otherwise have died. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the fat imperial core, too, where, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to, right now, the prospect of them sitting in re retirement for 20 years, sucking off uh, Social Security, is, it just horrifies and, and it puts into cold sweats our elite. Uh, and something that, like, once you get it, will, over time, destroy your immune system so that everyone's not dying at once, but people are going to die earlier than they otherwise would have, that is an actual solution for climate change and for all the other uh, uh, long-term problems that our system is incapable of addressing without the systemic change that people in power do not want and cannot even contemplate. And it certainly makes the... the uh, Bill Gates's refusal to allow uh, vaccine technology to the third world make more sense. That's one that never, ever made sense for the people who are like, oh, no, COVID is made up, but the vaccine is going to kill you. Well, then why the hell aren't people like, why the hell weren't people like uh, Bill Gates dying to put as many vaccines into the people who we already know they want to call as possible? Why are they saying, no, keep the vaccines from them if that's what they want? It never made sense. Why not? Because what they wanted was to not have to do anything. What they wanted was to keep going to Applebee's, to keep their freedom, whatever the fuck that meant, and their, their brilliant conspiracy theory that sees through the lies is, at the end of the day, just a recapitulation of the programming that they've gotten from the fucking consumer uh, economy in the first place. In fact, I can imagine a World Economic Forum uh, a Davos meeting, you know, in a, in a underneath a mountain in Switzerland when they've got Bill Gates and all the other Legion of Evil, and they're like, okay, we're going to release the COVID. It's going to spread endemically through the population in 18 months. And then you've got, you know, maybe um, one of those minions raises their hand and they go, I don't know, what if there's a containment? And they're like, no, we, have, we can depend that the freedom-loving people of the West will reject any meaningful uh, anti-pandemic measures, guaranteeing full penetration. So the people who are, think they're fighting the conspiracy are actually carrying out its, its will, which is to spread the thing as much as possible so that collectively our immune systems get wrecked and uh, we start 
over time becoming less of a drag on the economy. And of course, I don't think that's true either. I don't fucking know at the end of the day. None of us can. But at least that has an internal coherence. The problem is the reason none of these conspiracy people talk like that is because that means COVID is actually a big deal that you should try to avoid. And that goes against their freedom. That goes against their identity of themselves, which they think is real and authentic, not a very a product of the very system that is, yes, trying to kill all of us. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see how badly my immune system got wrecked. I feel pretty good right now, I have to say. But I do think it's very funny to, uh, yeah, to imagine, like, instead of the conspiracy mindset being the last hope of, you know, Western uh, freedom and, and independence in the face of global homo uh, uh, conspiracy, it's actually that reaction is key to the fulfillment of the conspiracy. And I'm not saying this is true. I don't fucking know. But I'm saying, to me, that has more internal consistency than this ch childish idea that COVID was made up to make us assent to stuff that we're going to assent to anyway, because what else are we going to do? It's tiptoeing around the unspeakable reality that there is no resistance. There can be no resistance. Because what what can you even do at your um, greatest hope is vote for one of the two major parties who will uh, condescend to your cultural fixations. We'll see, though. I mean, in the in the in the next couple of years, we'll see exactly uh, how this plays out. But I don't know. I'm now I now have skin in the game if I didn't before because I've got those little guys in me now, and they've they're doing their work on my on my white blood cells and everything else. Ah. China trying to China it's being revealed now that for all of our hopes and a lot of us had put hopes in China as like an alternative system that had more capacity than the the uh, western capitalist structures they were limited uh we could either we did not have the capacity to do full vaccinations uh and mitigating uh regimens neither did they it turns out because they did not vaccinate people while they were have been doing uh, uh, the zero COVID stuff, which is one of the reasons it's going to go. It's now going to just go crazy through the population now that they're uh, they've they've reached the limit of their population's willingness to accede, which you need for this stuff to work. And there is a question of how much that's going to affect supply chains in, in the very near future. Yeah, COVID zero is as impossible as so in one country is as impossible uh, as socialism in one country. Indeed, very much the case. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of China, I did read the first uh, part of uh, the three body problem and a few chapters of the next part. 
so all the stuff in the Cultural Revolution. So the aliens haven't shown up yet, which I'm assuming they will at some point. Uh, but I am enjoying it. The, the prose isn't that great, but you know what are you going to expect out of a translation of a foreign language, especially one that's as idiomatically distinct from English as Chinese. Uh, but the ideas are very interesting, and you know the Cultural Revolution is a way to start. I mean, that that's a hell of a uh, introduction, you know, because uh, that was wild, wasn't it? The uh, the Cultural Revolution, and if you take it, the Cultural Revolution and you do what you have to do with anything, which is any phenomenon, which is connected to what's going on globally at that time, which is one of the great failings of our uh, way of understanding our own history. Uh, you can see this global mental breakdown, basically, of the educated classes everywhere in the world uh, in the face of uh, the the bringing into imminence of global capitalism. Because the, the Cultural Revolution is part of this revolt against the incoming uh, dehumanization that everyone could feel was in the air. Uh, everyone from, yeah, the, the, the crazy multitudes of, of uh, students in revolutionary China all the way up to the absolutely insane presidents that the United States had during that period, uh, Richard Nixon and uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson. Uh, at every level, people were finding the limit of what they thought of as their own uh, human will, their ability to assert a human will on the world, uh, and finding that that limitation was, uh, that, that the border of that limitation was this new technological structure. And people resisted, tried to punch through it in any way they could, and that varied from culture to culture. Uh, parenthetically, by the way, uh, to this end, I think uh, I, I should say that one of the books that I uh, was most useful to me personally in uh, doing the 30 Years War podcast uh, research is a book by uh, historian Jeffrey Parker called Global Crisis, which uh, is a, a history of the mid-17th century uh, that covers every part of the globe to some extent or another where there is sufficient records for a narrative to be uh, to be sussed. Uh, and thinking that way uh, shows the degree to which, th yeah, ecological factors shape what we think of as our uh, autonomy uh, and also the way that our response to crisis generates mechanisms of, of coping that have impacts far beyond anything that we can conceive of, and that the world that we're making is one that is going to be alien to ourselves, uh, and that the people who are going to be there, who we think of as you know our, our descendants, are going to be alien to us in a way that is terrifying and we respond to that terror 
with uh, our with an attempt to take matters into our own hands. At least those of us who are arrayed in a certain place, uh, poised between the full oppression and inertia of of uh, the at this point by the by the mid sixties, the still real uh, li- rural life. And the uh, the urban existence, which gives people uh, a sense that is largely illusory of their own power over their destinies and of the of the world around them, and the, you can see throughout the world the '60s as this as this crisis of recognition of of the limitations that we have and our ability to control what's going on around us. And in the three-body problem, I thought um, that's well illustrated. They do a good; she does a good job with that. Uh, and Silent Spring, the the Rachel Carson's book, which is featured in that uh, section uh, when the the young student who is sent out sent to log uh, the countryside after her father's. Uh, beaten to death during a struggle session for being a revisionist uh, reactionary because he believes in relativity theory, uh, is given a copy of Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the gist of that book is how uh, the pursuit of mastery undermines our ability to... Uh, to make a world that we can know because it is undermining structures that we are assuming, taking for granted uh, to build on top of. And uh, for those of you who haven't read it, she ends up after uh, uh, writing a letter on behalf of a uh, journalist who wants to tell the local Political authorities, hey, stop logging this. This is, you know, we're destroying our own environment. Uh, he frames her for it, and then she gets uh, uh, sent up to the countryside. Or, I'm sorry, she gets taken to jail. But then, uh, because she is a physics a, a physics student, sent to a mysterious uh, mountaintop military installation where they've got a big antenna that's doing something, and we don't know what it is. Uh, and then they cut to the future 40 years later, and uh, physicist scientists are killing themselves, uh, and no one knows why. So that's where I am now. That's as far as I got. And I got to say, like I said, the, the, the prose isn't that great, but the ideas are very uh, interesting, and I'm going to keep reading it, certainly. But right now, I don't really, I don't know what to make of it, really. I'm waiting for the aliens to show up. Uh, but there's a line in it where they're talking about the one of the scientists who's killed himself, and they uh, they wrote in their suicide note, "Physics is not real, and it can never be real." Uh, and that that hits because I've been thinking more and more about about the uh, the unreality of the world. Uh, I think I've talked on here before about the Nobel Prize winning work on uh, physics, the Nobel Prize for physics. 
Did I have to talk about that? Uh, how there's no local reality? Haven't been able to get that out of my head since I read about it. There is no uh, independent existence to objects outside of their observation. And uh, if there is no uh, remote control over the world that we live in. Uh, and that makes me think of, you know, the, the, as they, there's a reference in the book to how the quantum wave collapses upon observation. Like you go from the... Matter is both particle and wave until it is observed, at which point it collapses into a particle. This stuff is all designed to drive you crazy because... We do feel fully controlled by a system, right? Like we've talked about before, like the 60s was this revolt against this controlling mechanism that we were defeated by. Uh, but it's not real. <laughs> like none of it is real. Uh, what makes it real is our belief in the consequences of it. If we did stop believing in the consequences of the system that, that as it presents itself and as we're constituted of, they would no longer have power over us. And that's why, you know, we have, we all are inevitably forced to find some sort of extra scientific narrative to place ourselves in. But which one? Right? That's the challenge. Which fucking one? The more people believe in it, the more people, the more real it is. That's just that. That's just a fact. And a cult can have the same power for the members of it that a, that a established religion can, uh, because the intensity of belief is in, is uh, proportional to how committed the people within it are to maintaining that reality. But we are in bodies. That's the problem. We are in bodies, and. It is the illusory persistence of the physical that prevents us from transcending it. But like the spirit that animates the life of a, uh, of a body is, by definition, eternal, right? And the physicality is limited. It's getting attached to the body that makes us enslaved, really, to uh, a system that is dependent upon manipulating our sensory preferences.
But the real joke is, is that we don't really have to do anything. We don't have to move. Like, this thing moves through us. And it's only when we understand that, that we do not have to do anything, that we are actually free to act meaningfully. Because as long as we are acting to validate a religious conception of the good, some other that's going to decide we did the right thing, uh, which is Im implicitly premised on a matrix of punishment and reward, then we are slave to the same mechanisms that, uh, that the material world uses to keep us compliant. Because those systems of reward and punishment are generated by class society. Uh, only with the understanding of that we are universally uh, uh, saved, whatever that means, we can't know. But one way or another, it is nothing to fear. This is the important part. The, transi the transition of states is not one of judgment and punishment. It is a... Uh, it is being brought into a knowledge and an understanding of something vaster than an individual contained human perspective can conceive of. And the fear that that will involve punishment and that will involve uh, your choices being, your bad choices being brought back to you in some form. Uh, that is an artifact of religion's uh, inextricable link to the mode of production under which they're reproduced. Because as I've said before, that is the ultimate justification for social structures is that they can provide salvation as though there is an alternative to salvation. If there is no alternative, if there is no other state, some state of damnation, whatever, however we conceive of it, even if you're an Easterner, uh, you know, you believe in reincarnation, reincarnation into a, a, a veil of misery, then these systems are justified. Then the miseries that they create are justified. Uh, the Division, the internal and, and uh, division uh, within a person and between people is, is justified. And any act you perform, even if you are fully embracing a religious conception that transcends the physical, will be reinstituting and recapitulating the imperative of a class society to separate the, uh, the sheep from the goats. The only meaningful act can come after you've dispensed with that. After that fear has been eliminated. If there is no reward for good action and no punishment for bad action, well, then what do you do? Now, of course, traditional religion says, if you get to that point, you'll just do bad stuff. But people do bad things to soothe the whole, to soothe the pain, to soothe the fear, to soothe the separation that they set that, that cannot be uh, uh, transcended by the reality of life in the black iron prison. 
and the trauma that has been inflicted upon them, to use an overused word. The desire to, to, to inflict what has been inflicted upon. But that desire is embedded in a sense of injustice that one has suffered in one's only life and that that suffering will constitute one's eternal experience. If that's not the case, if that suffering is part of a universal process of uh, information gathering, basically, like all the things that happen to everyone and every act everyone performs in the world is building a knowledge that is processed not here but elsewhere in that 90% of the universe that is unobservable. <laughs> 90% of the universe is unobservable. What's going on in there? What I think is that the actions, the, 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 the subjective experiences of life are turned into a, uh, a greater understanding. This is, some people like to talk about simulation theory, but that is, to me, just begging the question because you're always assuming some simulator. And we, I think there are gods out there that we have created and they have real power because we believe in them. That includes the simulation robot and Roko's basilisk and all this bullshit that uh, rational people have used to try to recreate God without spirituality. They're all real to some extent, but they are just faces, just uh, uh, mirrors of our own understanding that we as grounded and limited and finite beings cannot transcend in life and cannot communicate to ourselves or between one another. But that process is occurring and our actions are accruing towards knowledge, which means that we are, that the, there's no punishment. Why, what would be the point that everything that is happening has to happen? Every act has to occur. It's all part of a necessary process. And with that as a base, action can be based on love and not fear. It's the only way it can really be based on love and not fear. At this point, when we have killed the sacred and we cannot ritually reinscribe our felt understanding of this stuff, where we're sort of left to try to individually re rebuild it in ourselves which is which is very difficult and which has led us to a, a species-wide despair this is also why as I've said before trying to resurrect old religious notions oh we just all need to be Catholic yeah okay good luck we just we just need a, a extinct form of social structure and control that related to an extinct uh, mode of production. The whole point here is that you cannot go backward. And the question of what is to be done can only be answered when you know why you're acting 
And if it is to make, if it is to save the world, it's not going to work. If it's to save yourself, that's not going to work. Those categories are bound up in in a fear-based compulsion matrix, a Skinner box made by uh, the fictional finitude that dominates our minds. And that's why I think that whatever religious conception is going to alloy to you know humanity's attempt to survive the coming and currently existing crisis is not going to be some concepts that we already have. They're going to be fully new. They're going to have to be because they're going to be describing new ways of being that are going to be people acting out of necessity and love. Not That's not all people are going to be acting out of, of course. There's going to be the, the, the terror is going to drive horrifying violence. But there will always be alloyed within that uh, the desire to save not oneself, but to save others. Others not as reflections of you, but as their own end. And there's going to have to be a vocabulary to make sense of why you would do that. And it can't be Christianity because that will so easily be co-opted by structures of, uh, of warlordism and domination, just as all other religious structures will, existing ones. The only, and besides, the only live, lived, spiritually vibrant, monotheistic religion left is Islam, as I've said, but it's wired into the same things. Like uh, I think Zizek really had had it pegged when he uh, in the old, in the War on Terror era, when he pointed out that the Muslim fundamentalism was not some sort of uh, medieval. Uh, reaction to the modern, but was, in fact, modernity itself coming to places that had, uh, until that point, avoided it. Maybe some, uh, maybe Sufism. Maybe the Sufis will, will be able to uh, construct something out of the rubble that can, uh, that can speak to love, that can accept universal salvation as the first premise and move from there. Like we are a simulation, but we are part. We are one simulation among infinite simulations, all of which generated just by life, by the fact that zero can only persist for so long before the one pops up. 
and it keeps popping up, and it keeps popping up, and life continues, and there is a residual accumulation that is accumulated here, and then, but in a process of creation and destruction, and then there is a re residue collected elsewhere. I guess that's where my religious belief, like my thing that I cannot uh, put a rational mind, because I can talk, you know, vaguely about, oh, you know, quantum this and blah, 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 and, you know, uh, uh, relativity and, you know, consciousness as circling a black hole. You know, I think that's all true, but it's also facile and it, it's not anything that can be proved anyway. But I, my intuition points to uh, something beyond the black hole that is pulling us all towards it. Uh, and that emerges from the other side. And I think that is what life is. is consciousness is a, a, a pinprick in the fabric of reality. And your birth and your death are these twin, twin pinpoints. And then that life force is pulled from one to the other, sort of twined around a pillar of gravity. And as you get closer to it, it elongates. The, 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 the subjective experience elongates. And we're scared of that. We're all terrified of what that means because we think of it now, at the, at, in the modern era, we think of it as a, uh, a horrified movement towards extinction, like being in an airplane that's crashing. Uh, but, you know, it's not like in the era of, age of like meaningful belief in religious uh, uh, vibrance uh, that those people weren't terrified because they were all afraid they were going to hell. Modernity uh, creates this terror, or I mean, uh, of the unknown. And even if you are religious, there is that doubt because there's that divide, that unbridgeable divide between you and God. Something that is only can only persist under certain regimes of accumulated class rule. And technological class rule. That's very important, too. But if that, if this is all part of one process, then there can be no permanent alienation of any conscious being uh, from anything else. And that, and that the extinguishment of a, a finite body uh, is the experience of, the subjective experience of being reunited and then reconstituted elsewhere. And with that as like a baseline, you can ask the question, what should I do? And not try to answer, not try to get an answer, get out of the apocalypse, avoid annihilation, avoid death, uh, avoid one or other bad outcome. Because those bad outcomes are baked in. They've already happened, in a sense. What we have control of is, uh, is how we relate to other people. That's it.
And this is all a bunch of, you know, new age sounding bullshit. But all I can speak from is my own experience and how badly I treated people when I was fully in denial of uh, the existence of spirituality and terrified every moment of my life of dying, but spending all of my energy trying to ignore the fear. But it did not stay ignored. It came out. It came out in moment uh, cyclical panic attacks, and it came out in uh, depression, and it came out in a cycle of sort of casual cruelty that, of course, I never intended. I spent a lot of time trying to thinking about how I wanted to be a good person, how I wanted to be good, how I tried to contrast myself from people that I thought were bad. Which is just, that is secular Calvinism. And staying alive is being elect. And now I have to deal with, you know, my residual guilt for that behavior and that time and what I did. But what I can't do is act from an assumption that there has to be some sort of one-for-one -one atonement because that that's a selfish desire to deny the reality of unity and and that the subjective uh, finite life that I'm living is a part of a process trying to uh, imagine full restitution is trying to deny that and trying to create that eternal self. And the eternal self really is the thing that's the, the, the dream of the eternal self, the, the, the belief in the eternal self. First it was uh, spiritual and then became uh, now it's technological uh, is, is what is going to, damn this uh, particular iteration of humanity to annihilation. Uh, because it started off as a survival mechanism. Uh, you had the, the first great expansion of settled societies along the Eurasian belt and in the places where life was most fecund, you had religious conceptions that uh, accepted the cyclical nature of life. But out in the, in the Eurasian hinterland, where smaller groups were in constant conflict with one another, survival dictated bending out and breaking off that circle into a staircase. And it had the effect. It worked. It, it, it motivated people to, to, to fight, to, to hold their own uh, 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 social structures together in the face of uh, opponents. But once it becomes overawing and dominating, then we have surrendered our 
control to technology. We surrender our souls, really, to a fantasy uh, of being ourselves forever in heaven and then in the fucking singularity or whatever the hell. And that's sad and depressing in one sense because we're living through it, but it's just, it's, it's like a, a barber pole, you know, you got the white and the red stripes and they turn. And for a while, it looks like the world is just one color and then it turns and it looks like it's the other one, but it's the whole time. It's all there. And that is a, that exists, the perception of life through that prism and, and people moving through it, moving, grasping towards things that they can't even comprehend. That's, that's the, uh, that's the engine of the universe. And, but what it's building is something that none of us will ever be able to, as we under, as we exist now, uh, encounter. But that does not mean we are not part of it. And that whatever it becomes will not include, maybe not us as we want to be, but us as uh, we need to be. Our systems are, are uh, our systems of belief, our transcendent systems of belief that like the things that actually try to grasp beyond and make sense of 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 the imminent uh, are of course uh, at the mercy of our systems of uh, economy of our modes of production of of the class societies that uh, allow for religious ideas to become universalized. Like, it's not a coincidence that uh, the first, like, set systems of belief that we still live with now that are not considered, uh, you know, mythology start to emerge around individual thinkers and writers as the flow of uh, construction and destruction of social structures becomes fixed around certain permanent features of exploitation. Buddhism, Confucianism, first, where there is the greatest fecundity. And I think what, what, what all those are, and then the later ones, you know, Christ, Muhammad, it's that some people, uh, due to when they're, are emerged on earth and specifically the, the, the architecture of their brains are able to channel an energy that most people, including myself, uh, are forced to, for the most part, suppress because to not do so would to be over, would be to become overwhelmed by it. 
and to have our ability to be functioning people annihilated. But some people just have brains, have structures in their minds that can contain and uh, process this energy consciously. And to be able to do that is to be able to apply uh, a, a symbolic lens to that experience and that people can understand. But of course, what those people are understanding as subjects of class societies takes class society as a given, as a constant, just like they take their own you know, uh, lives as a constant, their own subjective consciousnesses as a constant. And that strips from these messengers the deeper knowledge that they all contain, but they cannot be communicated. At least it cannot be communicated over time. It might be communicated to individuals in their lifetime, but it cannot be communicated and, uh, and structured over time, which is that universal uh, salvation I talked about. Take, take Jesus Christ, for example. I, am, I do believe that, that Christ was real and that Christ was a member of a, a political milieu that sought to defend uh, the Jewish conception of humanity, which, you know, uh, the, of, of a chosen people connected by a shared conception of a, a God. Not a god that you uh, you know sacrifice to, and if you don't get what you want, well, you find another god. A god who is always there, and that who you can fail, but who cannot fail you because they are eternal. This was when they were the the Jewish people were, you know, subjects of a Roman Empire that was uh, persistently dominating them. And how to get over that? How how to how to meaningfully resist this Roman domination? Uh, and for Christ, the answer became, uh, "I am the gate. Uh, I I am the I am the way to connect to a God who is otherwise inscrutable and whose desires and will is unknowable to you, and who therefore you can always be in danger of uh, letting down some way." I I absolve you. I uh, have come to clear the path with the goal that people that the Jewish people would take that and and run with it and would uh, would take that knowledge and use it to resist to def- to to repel the to Romans and to find. To maintain their uh, their uh, their holiness, but most the most powerful Jew, uh, members of uh, uh, the community were largely happy with how things were because they were uh, privileged within it, and I kind of think that when Jesus was brought before uh, Pilate. Uh, he he probably thought 
that he wasn't going to go on uh, to the hill. He wasn't going to get nailed to the cross, I don't think. I think he thought that God, in the form of the collective belief that he had unleashed, would transform into God, like uh, an intervention. They would say no. And then they didn't. And then he went up on the hill. And then he went to the hill and he got he got scoured. He got nailed to the cross. Uh, Why have you forsaken me? He says to God. And then after his death, he becomes a symbol for those uh, seeking some coping mechanism for life in a Roman Empire that was... Uh, Miserable, you know, uh, that was uh, only uh, the God's favor shined only on those who uh, had succeeded, who had been born into privilege. And Christianity becomes a very popular option both for elites who want to launder their sense of implication and for the poor and enslaved whose lot in life seems uh, unchangeable. But it becomes no longer a uh, actionable belief system. It becomes just something that is used to to put up with an existing way of being, an existing injustice. But it's the particular uh, time and place that Christ emerges as one of these guys with this brain that makes Christianity such a weird uh, hybrid deal. And why early Christianity, once it's adopted by the empire, splits into all these fighting tribes. Because the Trinity, God's Son, how, it is not intuitive. Uh it is, in a real sense, perfected by another guy who shows up a little bit later in a different position, Muhammad. But what allows for the synthesis there is that, uh, unlike uh, Judaism, or un- unlike Christianity, which emerges as this attempt to, for of uh, Jews to deal with their domination by the Romans, uh, Islam becomes a faith of uh, universalism in the uh, in a condition where those imperial forms of rule are collapsing. By the time Muhammad shows up, the Sassanid Empire and uh, the Eastern uh, uh, Empire are fighting them, each other to exhaustion. And this is a... a a vacuum, a real vacuum has emerged. And it can be filled by people who share uh, a belief, who share a certainty. And they're able to do absolutely almost supernatural feats of domination very quickly. 
But over time, they all get poisoned. Christianity gets poisoned. Islam gets poisoned because they exist to perpetuate domination of one person over the other in exact contravention of the deeper understanding that all of these like holy truths are wrapped around, which is the universal oneness of everything. And that is why uh, socialism is the is the concrete materialization of that uh, of that uh, religious insight. Somebody says, "Matt, have you heard of the Diggers?" Of course, uh, we're we're writing the last uh, we're finishing writing the last Thirty Years War podcast episode, the 10th episode, which is about uh, the and the Commonwealth, the English Commonwealth, and the Glorious Revolution, which is where it all ends. Spoiler alert. Uh, 1688. Uh, and the Diggers are fascinating because in with Winstanley, Gerard Winstanley, who is the leading uh, digger, uh, who wrote uh, the pamphlet that is like their most important uh, document, Uh, he actually anticipates Marx's analysis of class society by 200 years. He writes in his, in his pamphlet, whose name is fucking annoyingly... It's called the New Law of Righteousness. That's it. Uh, and in it, he says, yeah, all these uh, Cromwell, the Puritans, all these Calvinists, they're trying to create a godly world. They're trying to create godly institutions. But they cannot succeed because property ownership alienates man from God in such a way that it guarantees that human relations are filled with strife, violence, lies, domination. Now, he's, he uses religious language, but his, his uh, diagnosis of, of uh, society is essentially Marx's. I mean, obviously, Marx is going to use uh, different, uh, a different heuristic to get there because he has arrived at a point where belief in God the way that Winstanley had is no longer accessible to an educated man like Marx. Uh, but Winstanley saw the same essential flaw to all uh, religious political movements that sought to maintain the social structure as it existed, from Luther on. Because Luther insists, yes, the, the princes are, are, are wicked, but the people are more wicked. And we have to uh, we need uh, strong princely hands to maintain structures that can allow uh, for the word to be propagated and for people to be saved. But Winstanley says the word that is being propagated is a lie. The word that's being propagated exists to maintain this sinful arrangement of ownership, of property. 
And he, nobody listened to him, so he took about 19 followers and went to a, a vacant lot in Surrey and tried to live there in common uh, as, a, as an example, you know, which is what happens when uh, great religious movements hit the rocks of, of, uh, of entropy. Uh, and some uh, local landowner's goons drove him off the land, of course. And then he ended up becoming a Quaker. And the Quakers emerged out of the same period. The Quakers are also a product of the religious efflorescence of the um, of the uh, English Civil War, and they come to similar conclusions. But because of the overwhelming power of institutions, accept uh, uh, a quietist uh, religion that denies the possibility of living godly in a, in a uh, class society, but then attempts to find fellowship within it. And, you know, that's where we all have to start. That's where we all have to start. And that's hor And there's a, I know that I have an instinctive resistance to that because it means, oh, you're just saying don't fight. But, you know, what are you fighting for? Again, if you're fighting to change the world, you're fighting for a egotistic fantasy of your own ability to understand and uh, overpower the entire the the uh, collective the collected forces of history. You have to act for other people first. Any meaningful action is going to come from that. And you know, the problem with the hippies is that they tried that too, but they were emerging in a period when people who went to college, like they did were given the world who had, they, they were uh, able to basically guarantee themselves lifetime of material security. So that means any idealism is going to curdle in the face of that certainty. What we have now is something completely different. We have the end of security. We have the end of certainty. We have the end of material satisfaction. What that means for us, I have no idea. But it's important. I think it's very important. Yeah, this is from, uh, I just Googled it to remember the title, but this is from the, I didn't use this quote uh, in the uh, script but uh, I'll read it now. This is from the New Law of Righteousness uh, by Winstanley. In the beginning of time, the great creator reason made the earth to be a common treasury to preserve beasts, birds, fishes, and man. The Lord that was to govern this creation, for man had domination given to him over the beasts, birds, and fishes. But not one word was spoken in the beginning that one branch of mankind should rule over another. And the reason is this, every single man, male and female, is a perfect creature of himself, and the same spirit that made the globe dwells in man to govern the globe, so that the flesh of man being subject to reason, his maker, hath him to be his teacher and ruler within himself. 
Therefore needs not run abroad after any teacher and ruler without him, for he needs not that any man should teach him, for the same anointing that ruled in the Son of Man teacheth him all things. And so selfish imaginations taking possession of the five senses, and ruling as king in the room of reason therein, and working with covetousness, did set up one man to teach and rule over another, and thereby the spirit was killed, and man was brought into bondage, and became a greater slave to such as his own kind than the beasts of the field were to him. He, he, is, he is finding in uh, the isolated, egotistical enshrinement of, in, of reason, of one's own reason, of one's own perception, as the root of class society. I am not of. I am embodied myself. As opposed to the reality, which is, I am not anything. I am not I am a chimera. I am a fantasy. I am a, I am a straw dog. All is. I am not. But because we perceive as individuals, it is that individual perception that eventually forces us to reify the world in that image and break apart our connections to one another and dominate one another. Because my... If I am all and I am uh, uh, eternal, if God is really only my own reflection, then my, my pleasures become the only end to seek. And the only way to seek pleasure is to alienate labor from oneself uh, onto someone else. There's another quote from that that I actually did use in the script that I want to say just because it's like, you read that and you're like, damn, this motherfucker, this is 1650s. This is, uh, capitalism is literally just being born. And he is saying stuff that it would take, uh, that, that it would take another 200 years to be articulated uh, in different language. He said, so long as such as rulers call the land theirs, upholding this particular property as mine and thine, the common people shall never have their liberty, nor the land ever freed from troubles, oppressions, and complainings. He also, part of this, he had like a theory of cultural superstructure because he says the, the, the uh, universities and churches that we have can only be poisoned and can only bring forth a poisoned religious belief because they are dependent upon these property relations for their own existence. So even though people could see 
what was happening at that point. Capitalism still emerged unfazed, unscathed, un, unchallenged, really, by any force that could like fundamentally uh, threaten it. Because every effort, even with this knowledge, everything you could do only pushed it forward. That was capitalism in its uh, ascendant phase. Everything everyone did, one way or another, pushed capitalism's institutions forward, dug their talons deeper into the land, pushed people into a more marketized relationship with one another. Like the Puritans who fled America, uh, who fled Europe, England, were doing so because this new marketized world was fucking with them. They couldn't handle it. They were the most sensitive, uh, the de most delicate flowers in the garden were the ones who said, I can't hack this. I cannot square godly world, a, a godly world with life under Charles I. And so they went to, uh, they went across the ocean. They risked their lives to try to create a world uh, in North America that would allow them to actually live a, in a godly way. And in so doing, they fucking put into North America the seeds of capitalism's ultimate fluorescence, ultimate domination of the entire globe. Because anything less than total resistance to the state and annihilation of the self is going to fulfill capitalism's dictate. Unless you are willing to go to Munster and be starved out by the the prince bishop until they fucking came in and cut your cut your gizzards open and hung you in gibbets next to the cathedral you were going to build capitalism now we are at the end of this cycle now everything the capitalists do everything everybody is doing to try to either th uh, thrive under capitalism or survive its dictates is undermining uh its ability to persist as a technological supply chain, as a, stru a structure of institutions that reproduce capitalism. That's terrifying because what is else is there? There is nothing else built. Gramsci's quote, you know, this is the time for monsters. We got a lot of monsters. It's a fucking monster mash right around now, just like it was in the 1600s. But we are building something somewhere The reason I believe that is because I believe that consciousness is all there is. Like our, the material world that we think of as like real is is not any is not the real thing. The real thing, the eternal thing, is is the consciousness that we are part of. And the definition of consciousness is that it is retrospective. Consciousness is not uh, a response to stimuli. Consciousness is the building of a narrative, building of a story around stimuli that can only happen after the stimuli has already happened. And this is what I think happens during that swirling towards the black hole, that elongation of time and space is connection to the culmination that has happened somewhere that has always happened that generates everything else around it
He says, it's confusing that communism is directly connected to atheism, yet it seems more godly. This is the kind of contradiction that you have to deal with and that makes, that that kind of, do, that dooms most of us, you know, dooms our simulations to failure. Because to really embrace uh, a collective destiny for mankind, you have to break with the old structures that only reinforced class society. But along with that is a vocabulary of, of transcendence that has to be uh, claimed and has to be carried forward. And that challenge is, is difficult, to say the least. And it's that gap, it's that vacuum that leads that led so many uh, socialist projects into spiritual wilderness and made uh, the building of like the new man impossible. Like Stalin didn't build a new man. Mao couldn't build a new man with his cultural revolution. Uh, because there was, they gave up a horizon by trying to do it in one country. But again, what else are you supposed to do to survive? But why do you want to survive? Once again, it is that lack of faith that pulls us back from the full confrontation with that which is, that, that needs to become universalized, or far more universalized than it ever has, to truly challenge things as they are. Okay, so uh, next week I will have read more of Three-Body Problem. We'll get to the aliens. That'll be fun. Yeah, Cuba. Oh, man, Cuba. Cuba, it, it's going to be very tragic. It's already been a tragedy, but it, we're, gonna, we're going to we're gonna fucking destroy them. But man, they held out for so long, like a little monster, out just hanging out in the Caribbean without descending into madness. And like the fact that they ever did to me, validates every belief I have. The fact that they ever made it work for any amount of time, because you cannot use any of the uh, sophistic capitalist. Uh, liberal arguments to deny uh, the Cuban revolution. Oh, wow. I went for an hour and 15. Nice. All right. Talk to everybody next week. Love y'all. God bless you.